Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Hello, everybody. Episode number 46 of the Silver Club podcast. Great podcast today. We've got Colin Sheehan, our resident historian, as well as Trip Bowden, the uh, Augusta native, uh, used to caddy at the Augusta National for five years. The first white caddy ever to grace the grounds of Augusta National. A lot of fun, guys. It's Masters Week. Crazy. It's so different, though. I mean, it's it's like a regular Monday in November, and there's all this wonderful activity going on inside the gates, and I'm as close as I'm going to get to it. This would have been my 43rd year in a row of going. 43rd year. Well, Colin, you've, you've been around the Augusta National. What, uh, what sort of thoughts do you have going into this week? Uh, so many things. Just thinking about how um, golf was one of the silver linings of COVID in that uh, – from a from a, just an average golfer's participation this year and courses being up and then tournaments coming online this past summer and and how much I've I think we've all enjoyed the majors and I, honestly because of the context of this I'm not sure there's ever been a Masters with with more kind of from a from for those who watch it on TV. Uh, the the excitement levels are off the charts. I mean, just every the enthusiasm I'm seeing is is wild. The text groups, the, and I just think it's also, it's just the the access we have to that real time information of knowing what players are doing in the middle of their practice round. The Phil drive, I mean, I've already had seven people send me that sort of minute long clip of Phil driving in the gates this morning, and that doesn't get you I saw fired that. up. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So. Uh, All right. I, well, I one thing I want to shout out for the longest time it was uh, a tradition I'd watch the watch one of the rounds with my dad, and uh, I'm gonna we're making a plan. I think I might we might be doing like a home and away here and at my dad's house. We're moving the TVs to the outdoor screens porches, and we might do a four straight day Masters watch. So I that's something that probably would not have happened. It would definitely not have happened if it was in April. So. Yeah, you'd be you'd be in the throes of the college season at Yale for sure. But uh, but Trip, kind of piggybacking on what Colin just said there, uh, what sort of feeling are you feeling around Augusta right now? You're in Augusta right now. You live there. Mm-hmm. You you grew up there. Uh, talk to us about the feelings that are going on in the city right now. What's sort of the buzz or the vibe? It's really surreal because we, I mean, we know what's going on inside those gates, and we can't get in there. Or the first time in anybody's lifetime or memory, the tournament was going on, but we're not there. So it's, I, mean, I drove down Berkman Road and it was like driving down on a regular day. I mean, I can feel it through the fence, but it's just, I'm out. I don't know. It's just, it's just so weird. It's, it's, it's hard to grasp. Can it you really see is. anything from anywhere? Like what if, what if you decided to, uh, Maybe go down. What is it? Uh, maybe could you like paddle down Ray's Creek or something like off number eleven and come <laughs> down that way? Like, is there a is there a way you could sneak through? You, you used to could, but now the fence goes all the way to the bottom of the of the uh, creek, like oh, into the water. It? Oh, you couldn't scuba but, dive so must, or anything. Could you scuba dive under there? No, unless you can eat uh, wire, you can't get through it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That that'd be heck of a thought. Heck of a thought. I mean, maybe 
I mean, Augusta Country Club, I mean, can you see anything at all? Are they, they've just absolutely treed everything out, or what, what do you know about that? You, you can't particularly see anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, where they took that hole out and then they you know, built their little thing back there, too. It's, it's as private as it's ever been. You get a glimpse. What, um, about what, that much. Tell, us, tell us what the course is normally like in, the, in November. It's a little slower, but, you know, the ball didn't really roll out there anyway off the tee box, but it's, uh, if anything, it's a little bit slower, maybe a little softer, but the greens are immaculate. They're as good as they'll be all year. There won't really be a whole lot of a difference. It was really windy today, but I mean, it could be, I was telling Steve earlier on this, uh, I mean, it's 84 degrees right here. And it could also, you could wake up, it could be 35, but it's not going to happen this week. So they're, they're loving it. I think. I saw the forecast forecast. Is that part of uh, the tropical storm coming through? It looks pretty early. We've definitely have some but, rain forecasted. Yeah, but the, to me, this warm though is crazy. But and it, you know, it's, during April, like the normal time, it can you know it can be really cold out there in the mornings. But they're not gonna really go into that. So I'm, I think they're loving it. Yeah, it looks like yeah. wearing any sweaters. Yeah, I mean, what what you said, Colin, Though Thursday, high of seventy eight, but potential for heavy rainfall with uh, with the uh, tropical yeah. storm going to become a hurricane, Ada. Uh, chance of rain 80% there. Friday, chance of rain 40%, but still a high of 78. Uh, Saturday, chance of rain 30%, 72 for a high, and then 75 on Sunday, 40% chance of rain. So, yeah, look, it's a COVID year. I mean, you never know. who we, This thing could finish on Monday. You, you never know. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Stranger no, things have right. happened for sure. But let's let's talk about... Tiger Woods and his opportunity for back-to-back Masters titles. Obviously, we haven't had a Masters in 19 months. Very strange window. But at the same time, we'll also have two Masters tournaments within the next five months. So that's really cool as a golfing enthusiast to uh, be excited oh, yeah. for. Uh, let's let's kick around Tiger's chances for a minute. Well, I'm $100 uh, lighter in my wallet by saying he would never win another major. <laughs> so what do I know? <laughs> he surprised the heck out of me, and it were my hundred dollars. Well, if anybody the temp- can, do it, he can. You know, you know the temperatures <laughs> being a little bit warm, I think it can't hurt him. I mean, this will be the warmest major of the year. I mean, they were in San Francisco at Harding Park, and then uh, also at uh, Wingfoot in just up uh, outside of New York City. So uh, you got to think his chances are okay there, Colin. It's hard. To, yeah, he hasn't. We just we're gonna we're gonna give him the obviously his uh, deserved benefit of the doubt that he's gonna play well at this course that he loves. But it it wouldn't to predict his success. It can't be based on anything he's done in the last few months. Um, just has played an average sort of not particularly certainly below his expectations. So um, I wonder if he's on. You know, he's getting close to that age that Nicholas was in 86, where it might just be the, uh, the sort of connection to the property. I mean, maybe, you know, that this sort of might give him uh, that opportunity. Maybe the same with Phil. Phil has, Phil hasn't, you know, Phil has had a, an opportunity for some success on the, on the champions tour. It that really, se- it really seems like that golf course, that venue in particular it definitely separates and, and longevity at a certain venue definitely has its benefits. You see Freddie Couples compete well into his 50s. Bernhard Langer played very well up until the last couple of years as well. Uh, talk to us about yeah. the green the greens trip. You, you have so many great stories about caddying there for five years from 1989 to 1994. 
and you've been around you've been around the the course hundreds of times. Talk about the greens specifically, because these players will not have the luxury of the green readings books that they always use every week during the regular PGA Tour event. How important is experience on those greens? It's everything, uh, as as I say in the book, uh, Freddie and me, and which I learned from the best Freddie Bennett, that you don't read those greens, you remember them, and what's to me, great about Augusta, well, so many things are great about Augusta National, but if you know that putt breaking up the hill on number two to the right towards the um, the pump house, not towards 12, um, not towards Ray's Creek, but Blake's breaks towards the pump house, it's going to do that same thing every time. And even myself, after being, you know, I hadn't been out there since 94 on a bag, um, I can read them from the other side of the ropes. If I ever see somebody like leaning down or plumb bobbing or something, I'm, unless he's been Crenshaw, I'm saying he ain't making that putt. Which <laughs> actually, it brings me back to Tiger. The first year he was there, he had Tommy Bennett on his bag, and his dad was walking with him. And it, but his dad w- was going to caddy in the tournament. But after three days with Tommy, he said, "There ain't no way in hell I'm caddying for you. This guy will." Just Tommy Bennett. So Tommy Bennett was telling Tiger, "This putt's going to do this. This putt's going to do that." All the way around for three straight days, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he's so good because he knows those greens better than anybody that's going to be out there this week. I promise you that. Nobody's even in the ballpark with him, unless it's me. But I'm not playing, so. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even yell from outside the ropes. No, I can't. <laughs> but the greens are everything, Steve and Colin. It's just, mm-hmm. but also the beauty is, like I said, they will do the same thing every single time. There are no surprises. Once you know them, you know them. Well, but even though they, know, I mean, they've, have they made some subtle changes over the years to them overall? I mean, I know maybe they've enlarged a few greens or uh, what's, or do they just get them right back to the specs that they were? They get them right back to the specs they were. I mean, there might be some, you know, some crowning on the edges or there, but I mean, the, the overall look of them, they look exactly like they did the first time I ever saw them, first time I ever walked on them. So, Trip, as consistent as it gets. Trip, one of my, yes, uh, you, there was that sort of uh, beautiful uh, film last year about caddy, and I'm sure, I'm sure you saw it. it was oh, Bill Murray was brilliant. involved. And- Loved it. To me, my mm-hmm. favorite my favorite detail from it was this revelation that the uh, the the sort of property draining to Race Creek was an insight by one of the Augusta caddies who who watched how the water was shedding off the greens. Or was did you under was was that something you understood? Like that when you'd see the greens in a rainstorm, it was sort of a uh, it revealed to uh, it brought out all the sort it it sort of showed off all the sort of breaks and contours. Is that something that uh, <laughs> Very interesting. Something, uh, something you witnessed? Observation. Uh, you could, on two in a good rainstorm, you could see it run, you know, that'd be a really good rainstorm, but you could see it running up the hill. But I've, I've got actually a story about rain out there. It was uh, my main guy, Paul Briston, was playing, and he uh, always came down in the wintertime because there was nobody there. So we'd be the only people on the grounds. And it was February and it was raining like hell. We call it a Georgia snowstorm. So it's 34 degrees and raining. And he's out there sloshing around, and his group had never been there before, and it was raining so bad and it was so cold that they quit. And I've never seen anybody do that. They quit on number seven, just kept on walking. Well, we finished nine holes, and I had started heading to the barn, and and uh, Mr. Briston he called me Abner, like little Abner. I don't know why he did that, but he did. And he said, I, he said, where are you going, Abner? I said, where am I going? And I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. It's freezing. He goes, why did you shot even par? Where are you going? I said, you just wait a minute, huh? So then I go back through my head real quick, you know, and his. Round and I said, that's some bitch. He did shoot even par. So we're heading down number 10. He said, well, give him a minute. And I said, give who a minute? And he points down the fairway and he see all these guys in these yellow rain slickers and it's the damn grounds crew with squeegees. 
and they squeegeed every single green force as we made our ready run 18. How about that? <laughs> and he shot far on the back. He shot 72. Wow. Oh, man, they got, they're squeegeeing every single green for us. And That's he had an umbrella, and I didn't. That tells you thing. Yeah. <laughs> a little different world out there, boys. It's like Disney World, know. right? I mean, it's it's like Disney World on grass. It's it's it is Disney World, especially now. Trip, tell us about tell us about the impact this this sort of you know devastating impact to the local community, without having oh. the sort of normal uh, having the world descend upon the, the city this year. It's, it's crushing. It's uh it's about one hundred fifty dollar one hundred fifty dollar one hundred fifty million dollar impact to our community Masters Week, and. When I say a fraction of that, I can't even imagine how, what a fraction of it is. Maybe, I mean, you know, you got your folks that are working on the ground, some scores, some press, but you, I mean, there's nobody, there's not a lot of people hanging at the parts of gin, you know, for a three night minimum to a thousand dollars a night this week. There's right. a lot of hotels. I mean, this, this makes a break. All the rental markets how. too. I mean, the rental people, people buy homes in Augusta just to rent them out for a week and probably make the whole nut for the year or close yeah, to a, it. I, right. Yeah, I, I got a neighbor uh, down on Park Avenue, fifty thousand dollars a week for the week, fifty grand. That's cash money. It's tax free. And now no, no fifty grand this year. So you can you can start adding all that up, and you can only imagine. Are there the any impact. insights at all of that they might have patrons in the spring, or too too far down the road to assume that? Well. um Maybe I was hoping, I hope it gets hope, but I thought if anybody could pull it off, it would be them. They'd meet you at the front gate with a mask, check your temperature, maybe give you a shot of something and send you on in. But we were all devastated because we just knew it, they were going to pull it off. If anybody could pull it off, it was going to be them. And yeah, then- I, I thought they might. I thought, I mean, especially now as we're seeing a couple tour events have people come on the grounds. We saw the Bermuda Championship, obviously not a domestic PGA Tour event, but then uh, the Houston Open just finishing up this last week. They had limited uh, spectators on the grounds there for sure. And but uh, you know, it, kind of shifting gears just for a moment though. The the uh, one one of the one of the best experiences for the patrons is really the honorary tee shot on the very first oh, yeah. day. And we had Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and Gary Player used to do that. Now this year, uh, they just announced, Fred really just announced that Lee Elder, the first black man to compete oh. in the Masters 45 years ago, uh, they're going to be honoring him by establishing scholarships in his name and inviting him to be the honor, one of the honorary starters alongside Player and Nicholas for Thursday's round. What do you, what do you think about that? That's the first I've heard of it, actually. I think it's really cool. I'm an elder fan. I'm I'm a big Lee Elder fan. When I first very first professional tournament I ever went to in about 1986 was a senior tour event at Sleepy Hollow Country Club, and he won it, and he was like the favorite. Uh, oh wow! I, yeah, and I was I was I was that so it, it he was like a player I immediately liked. He won the tournament, <laughs> you know. He's like, and then he, I think he was in the finals. He was he, he sort of almost won it again the next year. Um, Goodbye, Augusta yeah. National. Well done. Yeah, it's very uh, cool. The yeah, uh, I great. mean, they're, the creation of the Lee very Elder cool. Scholarships at Payne College, a historically black college and university located in Augusta. Two scholarships are going to be awarded annually, one each to a student athlete who competes on the men's and women's golf team. So uh, very, very cool there. Very cool. Very cool. And that is cool. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I got to say the, the, the Masters and Augusta National is always on the cutting edge of what happens in the game of golf. And along those lines, 
you think about what Bryson DeChambeau is doing to the game. We're talked about, you know, we're all watching social media this week, especially uh, and leading up to this week. And, you know, we, we have uh, we have some pretty good knowledge that Bryson hit uh, some really short clubs into a lot of holes. Uh, somebody told me yesterday uh, from some very good knowledge that Bryson had 72 yards into the first hole, uh, which is uh, pretty remarkable. But but we know how long Bryson can we know how long Bryson can hit it. But do you think at some point and maybe even some point very soon, the powers that be at Augusta National will go to their own golf ball? Will have will make the players use a tournament ball. It's definitely wow. well. They used to do it in the British Open, didn't they? Well, the the Brits, you, no, sorry, Trip. The Brits used to have a different ball. They used to have the one point uh, six two, so it was it was smaller. But this is an interesting conversation because it almost should have taken place. It, it should have happened in nineteen ninety seven. You know, I'd be curious. You know, Trip, what do you you know what what Tiger did in nineteen ninety seven shooting you know, shooting 18 under par and doing what he did. Yep. Saw a lot of that. And it was, you know, they obviously, it began the process of the course going through this sort of this era, this dynamic era of, of it sort of changing frequently. Um, and, you know, when it's a shame. So when you caddy there, there was sort of what I guess some people call the Nicholas tees, you know, the tees that were, there was the member tees, which would stay the same. And then there's the, the tees that used to be about 78, 6,800 yards. Now they're, what are they? Another thousand yards on top. But at the, one, the one place that could just control the conversation that could demand the USGA and the RNA and the, all the pros buy-in where there would be not a peep would be Augusta National. Yeah. Say, this is Anybody. it. But um, I remember, you know, coming along growing up and the, uh, the back tee on number two was, was basically the back of the members tee. And now it's a good hundred yards past that. But when they tiger proofed it, they didn't tiger proof. They didn't tiger proof it for him. They tiger proof it for everybody else. They took out a lot of people. They Zach Johnson proofed it or, uh, right. Or Mike Weir proofed it or. Zach Johnson. Yeah. He didn't go for a single par five and two. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, he was, that. he was, he was pretty dialed in, I guess. Maybe that's a bad example, but. Uh, he did. So he did. He did have a green jacket, but but the shorter player for That's sure. It. Right. He, Zach Johnson was almost that year was it was super dry and firm and fast and windy. And he, and he, almost, he laid up and it's almost he made the par fives became so long. They were all laying up. But I mean, I mean, Trip, how do you reconcile this club that, you know, it's all about tradition, but they went in a kind of proactive, you know, renovation era. It's, and I understand what they were doing. They, their course needed to be relevant and needed to challenge the pros. But, you know, the lengthening and, you know, it's. I feel like it's a shame that it, it had to come to this, right? I mean, I talk to yeah. Steve about this all the time, like Fenway Park and Wrigley, Wrigley Field. These Those dimensions held, have held on for a century. What a shame that we couldn't figure out a way to have just sort of, you know, harnessed the technology in a way where the best players win, there were still long hitters, but it wasn't this sort of, it isn't the version of what we have now, which is problematic. Some of the the holes to me are unrecognizable. I mean, the the back tee on number one now is is where the putting green used to be. I mean, that's a long way. It'll be back there in Butler Cabin uh, pretty soon, right? (laughs) Get you a cocktail and tee off. But then you you got uh, 
actually three has not changed. That T box has not changed, but then four, they made a new T box for the, the back sticks and five is unrecognizable. We'll get back to our chat with Trip Bowden in just one moment, but I just wanted to update everybody on what the Silver Club Golfing Society has been up to. We've gone to places like Butler National, Flossmoor, Trinity Forest, Merido, the Inverness Club, Kinlock, Prairie Dunes, Colorado Golf Club. We've been at some really great places and had some wonderful events. I've got to give a shout out to Andrew Ganey, who is our championship points leader. Next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're going to have our Silver Club Championship at Mid Pines and Pine Needles, right in the heart of North Carolina. And we're going to crown a captain of the golf for the year as well as our Silver Club champion and a champion of our Scotch division as well. So stay tuned for that. A lot of great competition coming up. And we're going to start our 2021 schedule a little early, kind of like the PGA Tour. We have a wraparound season kicking off at the Country Club of Orlando, December 8th and 9th. And we got a fun day at the Winter Park 9 and a fun day afterwards as well at Lake Nona. Let us know if you want to be a part of that. That's a major open for members. So please hop on or our website at silverclubgs.com. Inquire about our membership. Be a part of a great competitive amateur society that's full of camaraderie. We just have a lot of fun traveling the country, playing some of the greatest courses on the planet from the best architects you could imagine. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsors of the Silver Club Golfing Society. The Dunhill brand, Turtleson, Torch Eyewear, the Winston Collection, and the Leith Silver Company, sponsor of our Silver Club Championship next week at Pine Needles and Mid Pines. Thanks to all of our sponsors for everything they've done in support of our society. Remember to check us out on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. And also, remember to subscribe to the Silver Club Podcast and catch every episode that we've had the last almost two years of our existence. We've had great players in the game like Jason Gore, Bob Ford, great club professional, and great teaching professional like Bob Toski. Get in tune with the amateur game and the competitive game by tuning in and subscribing to the Silver Club Podcast each and every episode. We've got a lot of great stories from players who really make up the fabric of this great game that we all love. All right, let's get back to our chat with Colin and Tripp right now. Five, what they do? I mean, they, they took out they took out a whole road out there, didn't they? They took out part of Burtman Road, yeah. They, they knocked <laughs> it back probably maybe 90 yards. But my, uh, my, my father-in-law likes to watch uh, the golf and always gets up there in the stands. And then I was touring around some of his biggest clients. And we'd come back up and bring him lunch or something, you know, and come back and bring him a coat, a diet coat. And I said, how many birds have you seen? He said, well, I want you to ask me how many pars I've seen. Three pars in three hours. <laughs> I think I know Cabrera made a, a nine or something like that. I think, I think he wanted to pick it up. Then he realized he was actually in a tournament. I didn't see anybody hit the green. And I was hanging out there for a few hours. I didn't see a single piece of person hit the green. You can't. And the thing about it now, it's so far back, you can't see him hitting into it hardly. They're like below the hill. So the whole dynamic of that hole has changed. I mean, it, it wasn't like it wasn't hard enough to begin with, you know? I mean, that's a hard damn hole. Yeah, talk about the green there. The green there is is unbelievable. Uh, the uh, the mounding in the front, the false front. Talk talk about that part of that green. That green's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's like they buried all your hope in different spots, and the slopes are everywhere. And 
<laughs> and you, I mean, that, that green wouldn't hold a it, it wouldn't hold a long dart. And you're having to hit these hybrids in there now and long irons. Well, you could drop your ball from the moon and it wouldn't stay on that green. But the place to miss that hole is actually it's, long. That back bunker is not awful, is it? No, if, if you're well, if you're a good bunker player, it's not. But okay, you, you better be pretty good with the uh, with the old sandwich. But uh, you certainly don't want to. I mean, there's so many bad places to miss it. I mean, you can end up having that thing. You know, if you miss it short, then you don't hit that chip firm enough, and you may as well move your shoes because it's coming right back at them. That green, that green definitely has um, some direct influence from the old course. I think McKenzie was definitely channeling the uh, the twelfth green there, it was sort of the up and over, the thinness to it, and then the drop off. And yeah, that's a what, great what, green trip. What is your what, what you know? What, pers- what are your personal sort of you know favorite holes from uh, now or then, or favorite pati- particularly favorite greens, or favorite, place, fa- favorite places on the course? So the greens, like if I'm trying to hustle a tip or if I'm actually playing them, because <laughs> two, two, I think two is one of the greatest greens, and it doesn't get a lot of uh, attention, to, maybe because it's so early in the round. But when the pin's sort of middle back and you're at the bottom, it breaks up the hill, and you cannot see that. So I just always <laughs> love it when you had a guy that's that never been out there, and you tell him, you know, give me a foot on the left from about 15 feet, it's going right. He said, "There's no way in hell that's going right." I said, "If it doesn't go right, I'll eat it." <laughs> and it went right he goes oh my god it went right i said well i'm not eating it am i uh, i i've got to share i got to share one of my favorite stories on the second hole i was lucky Please. enough to play in the 97 masters myself after the uh the famous u.s amateur match i was a part of and so i i was fortunate enough i had some great practice rounds and that's a whole nother story but my first round i was paired with fuzzy zeller who was a he's a great guy it was like the perfect pairing he was so relaxed so cool and so we get to the second hole. Somehow, somehow I parred the first hole and get down to the second hole. I hit a tee shot. I think I hit in the bunker. I had to lay up. And then I had about, I'd say I had about 120 yards to a middle left pin. It was just over a little, just over a little rise in the green. Anything short comes all the way back. So, and the green, and it was especially firm and fast the year I played. It was, uh, the cut was six over that year where the cut is usually hovers around one over maybe. And, and this was before the tiger proofing you were talking about earlier, but uh, especially uh, cool, crisp mornings in the spring there. And so anyway, I hit my pitching wedge and I hit it about, it probably landed about 15 feet right of the hole, kind of where you'd like, you'd think you'd like to keep it. And, and so it takes a hop and it kicks to the right, everything in the green kind of slopes left to right. And it ends up about 60 feet from the hole when it's all said and done. And so pretty shocking. You know, it lands 15 feet from the hole. It wasn't an awful shot. And it ends up 60 feet. So I'm like, okay, whatever. This is this is the way it's going to be. So I get up there with my 60-footer. And you really don't have any frame of reference uh, what a 60-footer at Augusta National is like. I mean, it's just a, you're totally, it's just, you're totally guessing, especially for for me. I only, this is my first, very first round, my second hole ever <laughs> that I'm competing. So I don't really have that frame of reference. So I get up there with this putt and I, I don't quite hit it hard enough. It's a little bit more uphill than I thought. And it didn't stay high of the break. So it goes low. I missed it. At one point, it was about five feet from the hole. But it started turning the corner, turning left. And it started rolling back to the left. And it just slowly trickled. You could like read the the label of the golf ball as it was trickling. And I ended up with a 40-footer for par. 
And so I'm walking. So I'm basically walking sideways to my par putt. <laughs> like, and and right. as I'm walking sideways, Fuzzy passes me by and he gives me the little wink and he says, hey, partner, welcome to Augusta. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, oh, my God, I was just in for a, in for a great shock. I think I was about five over par through seven holes that uh, that first round. But, man, it was I, I've never had so much fun playing crummy. <laughs> You know, the um, I saw written on an old scorecard of Augusta National. It said that the um, it said I'm I'm looking at it here that the distances shown for championship play were determined by measuring from within five yards of the back of the tees to what is believed to be the best pin locations for testing expert play. And then it says the championship pin locations are the furthest putting areas excepting on greens 12, 13, and 15. You know, Steve and Tripp, what, they're sort of implying that the, you know, the, the furthest, you know, the, the, the furthest back on every green was the hardest, sort of hardest locations. And it sort of makes sense. I mean, it's, I guess it applies to a lot of holes, but I was sort of surprised to see that, to see them basically saying that on 15 of the 18 holes, the back of the green is, is the hardest. What did, do you, what do you guys think about that? It's the point, but as you're talking about it, and I'm thinking about it, they're right. Right. I was sort of in. I, I found that very interesting. You know, in some certainly hard to get to. Let me think about. Well, see, well, actually, I think on 16 though that that bottom left pin. If, if you uh, if you're a player like obviously so many of those guys are, that's that's an easy pin placement. The back right pin on 16 is a beast. Mm-hmm. The one where I think. Uh, I can't remember what year it was when couples hold out the bunker shot and he took his arm off of it. That was it. I mean, usually that ball goes in the water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that little ledge is like the size of a dinner table or something. I mean, it's so small. Incredibly small. It's funny. Thinking about the ball going in the water reminded me of, a, well, remember the year couples uh, held it up on the bank on 12. And the next year I had some buddies that worked on the grounds and they, they said, that ain't going to happen this year. I said, why is that? He said, we're shaving them. And they had those little floating mowers and those round ones that kind of hover. So they were dropping golf balls on the edge of 12 and making sure it rolled back in the water. Did it on 15, too. You ain't, you ain't hang up on that bank. So they're skinning it. Like skinning a cat. All right, guys, let's handicap the field a little bit. What We talked about Bryson a little bit. I mean, he is the odds-on favorite right now at 8-1. to one. Dustin Johnson coming off a, a well positive COVID test and then a, a great... Great play last week in the Houston Open. He's nine to one. John Rahm eleven to one. Justin Thomas twelve to one. The guy I'm looking for though is Rory at fourteen to one. Uh, he could he could capture the career Grand Slam this week with a victory. What what do you take of Rory's chances? I like all the pretty good swing out there. I've not seen it. Yeah, I like if it's going to rain this much and be this wet and saw you know just sort of be messy. I do like someone who's going to be able to be all carry like, like, uh, like Dustin, like Rory fly to the hole, um, rely on, you know, use their, use their power to their advantage. Um, obviously I feel like Rory it's, it's a, uh, there's a reason that so few people have completed that career grand slam. It is, it's, it's something that he, gets reminded of he must be thinking about it i think he's had enough years now where he's at he's at i think he's i think he's going to be relaxed and he's been 
playing pretty well, has a good attitude and he's a father. Right. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's been, he's uh, had, had time off. Um, I think I would, I would love to see him. I would love to see him do that. Anybody else that uh, you guys are, you guys are rooting for or pulling for? Actually, that really was on my, my radar. Kind of, kind of, I mean, it's crazy to call him a sleeper, but I just like the way he plays golf. And he's, he's very complete. And take nothing away from Bryson. He does hit it 6,000 miles. You can't keep doing that to your body for very long. And maybe he knows that. Maybe he's going to get his days in the sun and know that, that that's going to be it. But you can't swing that damn hard at a golf ball for very long. But I will say this, too. He's still got to get the thing in the hole. I don't care if he's 60 yards out or 160. He's still got to make that putt. Yeah. And then- and he's a great putter, though. He's a great putter, he but he doesn't have he doesn't have the the green reading books, though. <laughs> he's yeah. gonna have to figure yeah. it out himself. Trip the pre- so locally though, I you know I'm I've always liked Kevin Kisner. He's someone I've been following yep. you know since his days at Georgia. What's he, he's he's kind of a local hero, right? What do you think about his chances? Yeah, well, he he grew up playing Palmetto, um, which not a lot of people know this, but Palmetto came along before, obviously way before Augusta National, because that's where the uh, the rich would would winter. Uh, that's where the train stopped from the north. And a lot of the members of like Rockefeller and Deborah Milburn, people like that, uh, Sears, for instance, uh, became members of Gus National. They had money during the Depression where, of course, a lot of people didn't. But Tom Adams was just these three holes. Some say it was four holes, uh, three sets of tees. And when the members became members of Augusta, Palmetto became members of Augusta, they said, well, you know, you got this highfalutin architect, golf architect, you got all this heavy equipment. Why don't you come over here and, uh, finish this golf course for us. So Mr. Roberts felt, you know, get sort of indebted to these people because without them, there would be no membership to speak of for the Gus National. And he took a look at it and he said, yeah, we'll do that for you. So McKenzie designed Palmetto and you can see his footprint everywhere. Fingerprints too. So Kisner, having grown up on Palmetto, he basically grew up at Augusta National. Palmetto, it's a phenomenal place to play. You hit every single club in your bag. Every single club place. in your bag. I love that place. Yeah, I'm, I hope yeah, so. Yeah, Kisner is definitely um, my sort of my sort of not front runner kind of selection. I'd, I'd love to see him do something. I mean, he's a player, but you know, there's so many of them are. His odds, his odds right now are 125 to one, though. So Vegas doesn't uh, doesn't love. They don't, they don't Kisner. think so. They don't think as highly of him as, as we apparently do. I guess. But trip. Uh, what was what was it like with with. Um, Larry Mize's win as a local. I'm I'm sure that must have been a really wow. incredible, incredible it, year. It was, it was phenomenal. And you know that shirt that he's wearing. Uh, it became a, a huge seller in the pro shop at, at Augusta. And it, it's funny. I actually did an interview on the 25th year anniversary of it all, and uh, was talking to his parents and to him as well. He said, "You know, all my life, I've been told how lucky that damn shot was." He said, "If I lip it out, it's a great shot. It's one of the greatest shots in the history of, of a major." But I knock it in, and it's luck. And his dad was telling me, he said, that was not luck. And let me tell you why. He said, they, they used to live on uh, Almond Road, which is just around the corner from Augusta National. And uh, he had Larry do two things. One was to practice that, that chip shot in his front yard, try to stop in front of the road. If it goes out the road, a car hits the golf ball, and that's it. You know, he had three, three golf balls each time he was practicing that. And the other, now get this one, for hitting that kind of a flop shot, he had to hit it over his uh, mom and dad's bedroom window without breaking it. That's pretty good. Wow. That's a pretty cool way to learn, isn't it? And he never played the Gus National until he earned the right to get out there. Even though he played the country club, you know, walking right beside it. His dad knew a lot of his dad was very well known in the community and he gave him out there anytime he wanted to, but he said, No, Dad, I'm gonna earn my way on there. I don't I do not want an invitation until I've earned it, which I thought was pretty cool. 
Trip, the one the question we have to ask you is um, if you've won the you've won the Masters, it's the following year. What is your champion's dinner menu? Oh, snap. I would have to go. Uh, if he was still alive, um, go down to the caddy house, get horse fries and pork chop sandwiches. We do uh, <laughs> collard greens and uh, we do a bone. We call them bone sandwiches, which is basically it's chicken. With, you know, on the bone, but squished between two pieces of white bread and wrapped in green cellophane. And then I would make sure that uh, you could have an adult beverage if you wanted one, but everybody's going to get a grape soda. I, I, Steve actually knows the story. I was, you know, getting up there to the to front line of the, in the caddy house there to the counter. And I told Horace I wanted a Coke. And he said, grape soda. And I thought, well, maybe he couldn't hear me. I said, I'd like a Coke. He said, grape soda. And I said, a Coke, please. And he goes, pushes over the drink and it was a grape soda. I said, well, I guess that's what I'm getting for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So tell the us. Old bone sandwich. Mm. And lastly, yes, uh, we'll, we'll let you go. We have, we got to hear your Phil Mickelson story. Oh, well, I'm, yeah, sure. uh, I'm trying to think what year, it would have been the year he won the USA and whatever year that would have been when I was caddying out there. And Freddie says, I got a bag for you. You know, I never caddied in the tournament. I was just beside myself. And he hands it to me this bag, and it's backwards. The clubs are backwards. You, you don't see many left-handed people growing up playing golf, for sure. I didn't know anybody. I'm thinking, who the heck is this with a left hand? And then, uh, and I wouldn't follow him golf that closely. So I, at the time, so I didn't know who, who Phil Mickelson was, uh, much less that he's, you know, the player that he became. But I said, I don't care who it is. I'll caddy for him. So I'm kind of wiping the clubs down, even though they already look pretty darn good. And uh, he comes walking in there, you know, like this. He goes, uh, hi, I'm Phil Mickelson. I said, I'm Trip Bowden. And then Freddie introduced himself. And then right as I'm shaking Phil's hand, his coach comes in there and grabs the bag. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you. Uh, my coach was going to caddy for me. I thought, you forgot to tell me? <laughs> so that's as close as I ever got to the damn caddy in the tournament. And he uh, missed the cut, which didn't break my heart at all. Sorry, Phil. Oh, man. Oh, that's, I ended up that's... liking him later, but I was like, Damn. That's, that's, a, that's a fun story. Fun, funny story. But uh, yeah, sorry you never got a chance to do that. But uh, you were you were as close as you could get. But uh, look, yes, this sir. is going to be a great week. Really looking forward yes. to everything that uh, we're going to see at the Masters. Trip Bowden, uh, thanks so much for joining us here on the Silver Club podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Be well, Trip. Can't thank Trip Bowden enough for spending time with us sharing the great stories that surround the Augusta National. I hope everybody enjoys the Masters this week. Remember, we've got two of these things in the next five months. It's going to be really exciting to see who comes out on top and captures the green jacket. Until next time, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you right back here on the Silver Club Podcast.